Our podcast today will feature our good friend, formerly of the Chicago Bulls, once assistant general manager. He is Clarence Gaines Jr. He was one of the assistant general managers for the Bulls during their incredible run that's been featured on The Last Dance on ESPN. So we'll get Clarence's thoughts on a number of things that unfolded. And we're going to do all of that when we return after we have a chance to tell you about some of our great sponsors, certainly Ameren, Illinois, Fast Eddie's Bonaire, and, of course, the Munganast Automotive Group. So stand by, folks. We've got more coming your way. This is ClavesOnline.com. Our podcast is about to get underway after this. Are you in the market to purchase a new or used vehicle? Munganast St. Louis Acura is here to help. Check out all of their inventory at stlouisacura.com. They'll bring the car to you, and they can also complete the entire process without you having to leave your home. Contact them today at stlouisacura.com. We have a chance today to visit with Richard Mark, the chairman and president of Ameren, Illinois. And Richard, considering how many people that are working from home, and you have families at home as well, a lot of electricity is being used and a lot of power is being used and there are still ways to save. The best way to save energy is don't use it. And so not only reminding our children and ourselves to turn lights off, but in this day and age to turn our electronic appliances off, our electronic devices off. When you charge your cell phone and then you unplug it from your phone, if it's still plugged into a wall socket, uh, if it does not have some type of smart switch that you have it plugged into, that energy is still being used. So people don't realize all of the ways that they're still using energy. We, we kind of touched on the fact that Doug Collins made a career mistake by not embracing Tex Winter. You talked about the impact that he's had not only on you, the Bulls, but, but certainly the game of basketball. And I've heard other people talk about him. Bob Nelson, a well-renowned coach here in St. Louis, uh, spoke volumes of the impact that Tex had on him. Um, a Hall of Famer, and I thought a Hall of Famer that should have been in well before he got in. Uh, give me your best Tex winner moment and, and what you took away from him because he was a guy who basically was your guy when you first moved to California, if I'm not mistaken, as far as helping you with that first house or, or going back to your dad, giving him the green light. Yeah, you're right. You know, Pop's going to make sure that his, his baby boy is not making a mistake. And I wasn't, but he just wanted confirmation from that. Uh, Tex is a guy who saved his last dime. When, when he, didn't, he didn't need the Bulls from the standpoint of a financial, even though he made a lot of money, because he was a, rare, he was a very good investor. And... Um, but he wanted he he loved the game of basketball and loved to be around um, the game and this gave him an opportunity in his senior years to do that and some of my favorite text winter moments are when he is out uh, on the floor demonstrating uh, different things to players and you see that athleticism still there as a seven year old man. And you probably don't know this. Texas is a great athlete at uh, University of Southern California. Not only did he play basketball, uh, Tex used the old pole vault. I think they call it, I don't know, the bamboo pole vault. And anyone pole vaulting 12-6 back in the day when people didn't do that. So that kind of tells you what kind of athlete that, that he is. Um, but uh, Tex is another guy I wrote an extensive blog on, post on, 
and then he was getting inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, and his son was botching the uh, the induction speech. And I said, "Wow, we just got to really let people know who Tex is." And uh, just a homespun, natural person who was a genius at this game of basketball, who was willing to uh, share his uh, knowledge with anyone and everyone to uh, make you better. And uh, Tex was a great coach in college, especially when he was at Kansas State. He went against the uh, Kansas-led Wilkes Chamberlain teams the year that they were there. Um, made the NCAA Final Four with that Kansas State team. So he had established himself at the collegiate ranks. Ended up coaching at many stops, but mainly Kansas State and University of Washington were the two places that he uh, he, he thrived at as a college coach. Talk about the. I want to talk about the uh, the Bulls uh, becoming champions for that that first run, and, and the Michael Jordan's transformation from being. Uh, the guy who was dynamic and it was an exciting score to being the guy that was uh, obviously the leader but became a more well-rounded player, being able to make the other guys around him better. Talk about a, that, if you will. Well, I talked about it a lot. I kind of jumped ahead in terms of our conversation in the uh, earlier in, the, in our segment, but I will quickly go over it again in terms of I thought – you know, coming off of that 89-90 series that losing to Detroit really hurt. MJ, I can remember being in the bus and the, the somber mood. And, you know, MJ said, even though I didn't see it, and I was sitting pretty close to him because I remember, um, and he cried. And he's internalizing all the pain and saying, what do I have to do to ascend to the level of uh, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and, you know, and even the Detroit Pistons. He's probably going to give the Detroit Pistons a little problem. But, you know, in our in our time frame, uh, Mike, you know, it was Larry, Michael, and Doc was before them. It was those three great teams. Then you had the Pistons. And that's who we grew up with, those icons. And how do you send that level? And he came in talked about how did Michael transform himself. He transformed his body, which, I, which I've also uh, talked about. He transformed himself into uh, more of a leader. I think he became, he was always vocal, but he became probably even most, more vocal. You know, Horace was, you remember Horace said, he became a screaming devil. <laughs> uh, Pitts <laughs> talked about him uh, teaching him how to stay in the gym to get better day in and day out. And I've already alluded to what BJ said, that more than any player, Scotty benefited from Michael being around. Um, the mental toughness aspect, the competitive character, all those things you know, we have talked about. So that's what Michael did to transform himself and transform the team. And becoming more accepting of of Phil's ways, because uh, if you remember, uh, I think this might have came out in the documentary that Michael loved Doug Collins. He loved what he did for him. And when Phil got the job, he really wasn't a fan of Phil. But that Phil was able to win Michael over to his 
brilliance. Brilliance as a tactician, brilliance as a communicator, um, and brilliance as terms of relationship builder. Um, give me a, a, a little tidbit on, on PJ. He talks about it. He says, you have so many meetings during the NBA season. And you have to be really judicious what you say. And I'm not talking about meetings where you have a team meeting in the film room. And Phil tried to liven that up. How did he liven that up? And it's pretty well documented. You know, he would splice the different excerpts from movies in to, to lighten the load. But they had a meeting to try to connect with players. And I can remember him. This was back in the day when you didn't have uh, minions doing this for you. He would do that himself. You know, be on the tape machine splicing it, getting everything together, taking the time to uh, make sure that this specific thing I'm going to showcase to the team is on point. But he's also talking about the meetings you had when you bring the group together at practice or in a team huddle, and that you have to be judicious with your voice. And, you know, I think Michael saw that aspect to him. I also saw the difference in temperament Doug Collins, what we call a Dow Joneser, you know, his mood was up and down based on the success of the team. And he expended a lot of energy in coaching. Doug's a brilliant mind for the game, but in reality, his temperament wears people out. He can have a great short-term effect on the team, but over the long haul, it's not going to be the guy that's right for you. So back in the day, Doug was good at getting the team from point A to point B. And Ryan Storr says that, but he wasn't the man to take him to point C, C being the championship. And uh, all those things factored in. And Michael really buying in to what Phil, and I'm not going to say was selling, because it, it was his belief structure that he was able to get across who he was. Um, that's what allowed this group together and go from being contenders to being champions. One other thing I want to ask you about, and it was well documented, and that's the relationship uh, between the Bulls and the Pistons, Michael and Isaiah. Uh, obviously, it's personal between those two. Uh, and I, there's a lot of reasons for it. How did you perceive that, and how did the organization perceive that? Because there was a, there was some straight up bad blood. I mean, th- these were some guys who flat out didn't like each other, and we hear that a lot in sports. But we saw it firsthand between the Bulls and the Pistons. And I wonder, what did you take away from it? What was your experience with it? And, and what was it like from a front office standpoint? Uh, trying to make sure we can do everything we can do to help beat these guys. Well, I, I, I really like what Horace said after um, we beat the, the Pistons, and he, and he said it on camera, straight up bitches. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, and I have the utmost respect for uh, people in Detroit Pistons organization. They help make us better. And I got to know Isaiah personally um, when I was with the New York Knicks, and he was uh, heading up the New York Liberty operation. He even gave me, you know, his paper from uh, that he wrote as his thesis 
University of California at Berkeley when he got his um, his master's degree. He actually talks about that on, on the clip. And, um, you know, that's the way it was. And I kind of like what Isaiah brought out in terms of, you know, it wasn't a, um, a, a, a league where people are liking each other like they do now, you know? Um, I like how he corrected the, the broadcast and say, it wasn't Boston shaking our hands. They show Larry Bird walking out without shaking his hand. I'm the one who grabbed Kevin McHale's hand. And then Kevin said, good luck in the next series. Um, should they have done what they've done? No, because you know, you, you would think that they have enough class to, to congratulate. But those are different times, man. And, and, uh, in competitive circles, guys didn't travel around and go to shoot camps like they do now. They didn't connect when they were younger, um, to try to get over that mountain. There's a lot of, a lot of animosity that, that it's built over time. I was listening to Scott Williams who played on the hit, uh, do a podcast last night. And, um, it was, um, uh, University of North Carolina, and he gets around to talking about this time frame. And they asked him, uh, Scott, uh, basically, who's the, the player that, uh, maybe say it this way, but who was the dirtiest to play and you least liked to play against? He said, Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley was a cheap shot artist. <laughs> Great player, but you never, you always had to protect yourself because if you're off the ball, Charles going to do something that you shouldn't be doing. And he says, you know, I still won't speak to the guy. We actually go to the same camp. <laughs> and I can't, where they teach younger kids. He said, we've done that for the last six, seven years. I don't think I've said four words to him. So those feelings linger with, with guys. And they remember how people actually was. But when it comes to Zeke, uh, Isaiah Thomas, uh, I got nothing but love for them in terms of how they made us better. And part of my thing with Isaiah is that I was blessed to see him as a, as a college player live in an all-star setting. My dad was a uh, coach, uh, one of the assistant coaches, um, training camp coaches on the Olympic team that never was. And that was the uh, 1980 Olympic team that was supposed to go to Russia. And, you know, Isaiah Thomas was there that day um, in those series of practices that I saw, as well as a young Patrick Ewing. Uh, a lot of people I remember a high school kid at the time. And I was just enthralled with uh, Isaiah Thomas' brilliance uh, on that court and how he's able to direct uh, his team and how he was best guard of his uh, generation uh, at that time. Now, I was just looking at something, a uh, point guard in terms of a little guard. Um, there was a great scout I met then, too, uh, who was part of the Detroit Pistons organization. They hadn't yet drafted uh, Isaiah, and that's Will Robinson. Will, who also coached Doug Collins at uh, Illinois State. Um, I actually gave Will a, a tip on a guy, and the Pistons ended up with, uh, uh, drafting him. The guy I played against in high school, I followed his uh, actually uh, middle school. I actually followed his career at Virginia Tech, and they ended up uh, getting him. He played with him for a couple of years, but 
I recently came across this thing on Slant Magazine, and they listed 10 guys. It said, pick the all-time point guards. And pick, choose four of them. And I was like looking, and these people, they don't have a clue how great Isaiah Thomas was. And the guards who were on the list were Chris Paul, Stephen Curry, Magic Johnson, John Stockton, Steve Nash, Oscar Robinson, Jason Kidd, Gary Payton, and Nate Tiny Archibald. And that's a tough list to pick four from. And who would be your four from that list, Michael? My list, though, and I said this, uh, I'm amazed that Zeke has left off so many tweets. A very special point guard. Detroit Pistons won two championships with him. Could have been three. We didn't get injured versus the Lakers in 1988. My list, Stephen Curry, number one. Magic Johnson, number two. Big O, number three. Isaiah Thomas, number four. Yeah. That tells you a little bit about what I think about Isaiah Thomas as a basketball player. Yeah, I don't think anybody ever disputes his skill set. I think his people skills and things that probably don't have as much to do with basketball probably are the things that paint him in the in the villain role that he has been bestowed. But I, I think anybody who watched him play would tell you he was as good as anybody. Uh, I, I think that we, we make the mistake of trying to associate the two, which is unfair to him. But here's what happens is that those two do blend together and people diminish his career. I really don't know him uh, and what he was about as a player, but because of what they heard, you know, about um, how he interacts with others sometimes. I mean, Mike, Isaiah is a very polished guy. When you meet him. Uh, but there's a trust element those who really know him are, are, are concerned about. But that's where I was coming from on that in terms of, of dealing with Isaiah. All right. So I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not as a hateful as a Bulls guy who was with the Bulls during that time frame probably. Is. I also ended up meeting Bill Lambert in my time with the New York Knicks because he was coach of the uh, New York Liberty. And uh, Bill's just an interesting guy, but he's a brilliant basketball mind and a really good coach and definitely an opinionated guy. Um, you know, both Isaiah and, and and Bill are not the type of players you're going to like or love. They're not on your team. But if you're on their team, I'm sure the Pistons fans to this day still embrace oh, I'm them and cherish I'm sure them. they They're do. Clarence Gaines is our guest. We invite you to stick around. We've got more talk from The Last Dance, and it comes your way after we have a chance to hear these important messages. Munganass St. Louis Acura would like to extend a huge thank you to our healthcare workers and first responders by offering them several service specials, including a free interior detail cleaning. You can call them today to make your appointment and let them help you while you are helping our community. Find them online at stlouisacura.com or give them a call 314-822-2872 for Munganass St. Louis Acura. When you think about electricity and natural gas, how many natural gas customers do you have in the state 816,000 gas customers in the state of Illinois that we serve. That's so, a big number. It is. It's a, it's a big number and big responsibility. You know, we don't take that lightly, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a privilege to serve the customers in the state of Illinois. And, our, and me and my coworkers, you know, we take that very seriously. So if you think about the state of Illinois, anything but pretty much Chicago and the Chicago suburbs, is served by Ameren, Illinois. 
And so our service territory is actually uh, 44,000 square miles. It's bigger than the state of Indiana. That's a lot of coverage. And so when you think about coverage and we think about sources of energy, most people think of Ameren, Illinois for electricity, but natural gas is a major player in what you do. Yes, it is, uh, Micah. You know, natural gas, we, you know, like you said, Ameren, a lot of people think electricity, but Ameren, Illinois is made up of three companies that all had natural gas before, and those combined companies are a top 25 gas utility in the nation. We have over 18,000 miles of pipeline throughout the state, 12 uh, storage fields, and uh, 1,250 miles of transmission lines that serve our customers. That, that's a lot of property and a lot of coverage. So give me some of the uses for natural gas and some of the things it's being used for other than maybe being on a gas grill. Yeah, so I, you know, the easiest way for me to describe that is, uh, you know, I built a house about 10, 12 years ago. So I have a gas furnace. I have a, it heats my home, obviously. I have a gas water heater. I have a natural gas dryer. I have a gas stove for cooking my food and oven. I also have a gas uh, fireplace, which also serves as a little furnace for my living room. And I have a gas grill, as you mentioned, for cooking my food. So I got six appliances in my house that run on natural gas. So you're covered with gas, or in this case, cooking with gas. Yeah, I'm cooking with gas, gas, right. Let me ask you about Lambeer for a second, because Lambeer kind of reminds me of Rick Barry, uh, a guy that was a brilliant mind, uh, Barry obviously more skilled, but never got the shot to coach in the NBA. Uh, because of his his people skills and how he was perceived, would you see would you see that in both of those guys? Because uh, there's no doubt they could play. They were both winners, but man, they could go one sentence too far with people that just would rub people the wrong way. You know, I really don't know why Bill hasn't got the opportunity to be a head coach in the uh, in the NBA, uh, and I don't know if what you're saying about him as a head coach is fair. Because I see him in our, you you would not think of Bill and Beer being a successful coach with women, true or not? Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're right, and that's why I, uh, that's my point. <laughs> I, I mean, he's been successful coaching women. There's no doubt, and yeah. he probably learned a lot about himself and about the game in doing that. And, and Rick Barry knew the game as well as anybody, but those two guys could not cross that street to the NBA where they would get an opportunity to, to coach. And I know he's made that point a couple of times. Rick Barry has said it throughout his career and throughout his life that they never got the chance. And I always felt it was because they were the guys who spoke their mind. They went one sentence too far in the eyes of some, and they made people in the room uncomfortable. I don't know if you know Bill Lambeer has been an assistant coach in the league. Matter of fact, he was a, um assistant coach to Kurt Rammis when they were at Minnesota. So, uh, and he has his opinions about the triangle. Not that Kurt tried to run the triangle at Minnesota, but, uh, you know, obviously Kurt was a part of that staff, and those were always interesting dynamics as well with those two in the building together. <laughs> uh, but being an NBA coach, man, it's only 30 jobs. No, it's hard. You yeah, be, you're right. You got to be the right place <laughs> at the right time for sure. Yeah. Clarence no, Gaines. No doubt about that. Great to visit with you, sir. Looking forward to talking to you next week after we see the next two episodes of The Last Dance. All right, Michael. Enjoyed it. That's Clarence Gaines. I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for listening. Uh, It's been fun, and don't forget to stick around. We've got more fun things coming up your way on ClaibsOnline.com this week, and certainly next week when we'll have a chance to review episodes five and six. Stand by, folks. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we're glad you're part of it here on ClaibsOnline.com. Brought to you by Ameren, Illinois. 
Munganast Automotive Group, and certainly Fast Eddie's Bonaire that will be coming your way soon right here on ClavesOnline.com.